these are the guys that are going to be sharing today for seven minutes each, and, uh, and we just want to cheer for them. I'm going to have a timer in the front there that's going to count them down from seven minutes, uh, and they've got seven minutes to share whatever God has put on their hearts. I want to tell you that I didn't, that everybody asked me, is there a theme, is there a topic? I said, no, uh, you just run with what's on your heart, and, uh, and so we'll just see how God weaves this message together brought by seven different people in seven minutes. And we're going to try and hold them to those seven minutes. So I'm going to call. I'll give you like 20, 20 seconds to get ready and just kind of like, are you ready? You were born ready. Okay. So uh, put your hands together today for Will as he comes forward. Everybody turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 28 and verse 4. And as you do that, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm too fat for that. Now I want to turn to your second choice and say, I'm too fat for that. Some of you don't want to believe it. Turn back to your first choice and say, I'm too fat for that. Are you at Jeremiah 28 and verse 4? Well, here's the context, right? So uh, the children of Israel are in captivity. They're in Babylon. And um, the, the, the prophet Jeremiah is, is in this situation where he's about to uh, prophesy. There are some other prophets that are there. And uh, that's the scene that's there. And, 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 and here's the prophecy. It says, I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Have you ever tried to put on a pair of jeans that, you know, very clearly no longer fit you? And as you're putting them on, you realize that your capacity has outgrown what you were used to, what used to be comfortable. And so you say to yourself, I'm too fat for that. So then you go to the shops and you decide, you know what, I need to upgrade, I need to go to the next level. And as you're at the shops, you're looking at what you used to wear, you look at what used to be the size that used to fit you, what used to be comfortable for you. And you say to yourself, I'm too fat for that. This has happened to me a few times in the natural, not very often, but it's happened, it's happened more than anything uh, in the spiritual. Because I've considered to myself how Jesus has brought me out of captivity, just like it says in Jeremiah 28. I think about how Jesus brought me out of captivity. Then it talks about how he'll also bring back uh, uh, Jeconiah, who was a prince. And it says that he will bring him back also. That speaks of royalty and priesthood. It reminds me that I'm a prince, that I'm, a, I'm royalty, that God has, has pulled me out of the, the clutches of, of death and grave and pulled me out of captivity and set me in a heavenly place, in a high place, seated with Jesus. And then it says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, let me help you understand something here. The yoke speaks of uh, 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 an agricultural uh, instrument that was used for working the land, for, for plowing the land. And we know that Scripture says that the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. Now, Here's what we know. We know that a yoke is used to bond two oxen together. It's used to, 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 to captivate them, to, 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 to put a burden on them, on their necks, for work. And we know that the anointing is the divine doability of God, is the divine empowerment of God, the divine enablement of God. And if Scripture says that, that the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage, what it means is that the divine ability, the divine empowerment, the divine doability of God has broken the yoke of bondage, the, the, the burden of captivity, so that you don't have to do the work. Why? Because Jesus has done the work. So here's what we know, that the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. How? Because, you see, the anointing enlarges your capacity. The anointing makes you too large for what's comfortable. Why? So that God can do something miraculous through
through your life so that God can use you to bring people out of captivity like he did with the children of Israel in Babylon so that he can uh, set you in heavenly places like he did with Jeconiah, but also so that he can use you to lead people to be free. God wants us to be free. Now, here's the picture that Scripture paints when you look at the original translation of the anointing breaking the yoke. And this is what I'm getting to. This is the point of it all. You see, when, you're, when, you're, when your capacity has been enlarged, when your neck has been enlarged and the burden or the bondage or the yoke tries to sit on your neck, your neck is too fat for that burden. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm too fat for that. You see, when sickness comes to you, you need to look at it in the eye and say, I'm too fat for that. When you're broke and you don't have any more money, I want you to remember that Jesus is your provider. And I want you to look at your brokenness and say, I'm too fat for that. When you're having issues at work and you can't get along with your boss for some reason, I want you to look at the situation and I want you to say, that's right. So, Jackie, when you're in your new job and you're excited about what you get to do, but then there are people around you that are haters, what do you say? I'm too fat for that. Come on, somebody, give Jesus some praise in you. The Bible says that the Lord is good. It says that His love endures forever. It means that Jesus' portion for you is everlasting. That the anointing and what he has gifted you with, what he has graced you for, is everlasting. So don't give up. Don't give up even though what you face might look like it's too much for you. You might feel overwhelmed. You might feel overburdened. But I want you to remember that the anointing has broken the yoke of bondage. And you are too fat for that. God bless you. Awesome. So my title for you guys this morning is Encouragement Leads to... Uh, sorry. Encouragement leads to boldness that leads to action which results in growth. So a couple of years back, I went to England, well, when I turned 18, more than a couple of years back, but um, I went with my two best friends at that time, and we went, we decided at the end of the tour that we wanted to go to an English pub for the first time, and for any of you that um, know about English pubs, it's really a community thing, and everyone goes there as a family, and everybody knows each other, but... When I walked in, we realized I didn't have my ID at the time, but I was the only one that was 18. So I said, don't worry, guys, I've got this. I'm, I'll, go, I'll go to the front, and, I, and I'll, I'll order us a drink. And they kind of picked up on this vibe as everyone went completely silent and just left me to walk to the front. And when I got to the front, all that was waiting for me was a bartender that was completely bald, had one eye, an eye patch, tattoos down both arms, chatting to a guy with one arm that had made himself a homemade electronic arm. So... Obviously, the atmosphere was terrible. Only being 18, I walked up, and, and as I asked for a drink, my, my, my voice broke, and all I could get out was, can I have a beer, please? <laughs> and, and obviously, the, the bartender was just like, come on, dude, like, get out of here. My friends, everybody started laughing. My friends ridiculed me, and I still get my mom to order me drinks at restaurants today, but... Um, Fast forward to the beginning of this year, and um, the Lord called me out into ministry, and, and it's kind of been leading me to learn how to preach, and it's something that's been uncomfortable for me, something that I've, I've had to learn to do, but we launched the yard um, a couple of months back, and we, I, I prepared a message for about five minutes on the vision for the young adults, the vision for what our heart is at anchor for the young adults, and as I stood up there, my five-minute uh, intro ended up being 12 seconds, and... Um, I introduced Adrian, sat down, and kind of in that moment, I felt like I'd let Adrian down, I let myself down, I let the Lord down. Was I even called to ministry? Should I just go back into the business world? And, and at the end of the service, I went to Adrian, apologized, and said to him, dude, I don't know what happened. Like, I completely freaked out. And he just said to me, um, relax, it's a journey. We believe in you. I don't expect you to get this right the first time. And in that moment, it started building this, this boldness in my heart. I started getting encouraged to the fact that, that I am called to this, that Adrian believes in me. And then... 
the next month I stood up again and, and I started speaking, started, started praying, and Adrian was, was preaching again that day, and, and he was just shouting amen from the front row, encouraging me from the front row, and as I did my intro and introduced him as he walked past, he just said to me, that was awesome, man, well done, that was great. And all that did to me, it, it didn't sound like that was great, it sounded like I believe in you, you called to this, I'm walking this journey with you, it's, it's a journey, you can do this, man. So, so two weeks back, we have everybody on stage, Adrian's, Adrian's uh, yeah, you can give Adrian a hand. <laughs> Everyone, uh, so my time's running out. Adrian, so two weeks back, Adrian and I were, were chatting on, oh, he had a few people on stage, and he asked everyone questions, and everyone could answer, and then he got to me, and I didn't even understand the question. I, I couldn't answer anything, so I kind of just answered something that had absolutely nothing to do with the question, and, and, uh, and then ripped off my dad that was on stage, kind of passed the buck a bit, but... Um, in that moment, although I'd messed up again, uh, my boldness didn't go away. Um, and it's because I knew after that service, going to Adrian, you'll just have the same word for me. Keep going, dude. This is a journey. We're walking this with you. This, this is a process. And, and um, so, so what is the difference between those two stories? And the difference is, in the first story, I had no ID. I had no identity. I couldn't go up to the front and say, here's my ID. Give me my drink. And... Um, I also didn't have people walking a journey with me. I had people waiting at the door, waiting for me to mess up as soon as times got tough and, and ridiculing me as soon as times got rough. So I had no, no encouragement that led to no boldness, that led to no further action and no growth in me dealing and speaking in situations like this. In, in scenario two, I had... Um, I spent time praying about the fact that I was called to ministry. So I had, my identity was in the fact that the Lord had gifted me to do this. And Dean said to me this week, as I was in uh, Connect Group with him, when I mentioned I'm speaking today, he said, the Lord has chosen you to speak today. The Lord has chosen you to share this message. And that created this boldness in me. He said to me, the Lord doesn't take these things lightly. And, um, and the second part is that instead of having someone wait at the door when times got tough, waiting for me to mess up and ridicule me, I had someone walk in a journey so when I messed up, they could disciple me. I had someone that, when I messed up, could encourage me and stir up my gifts. And we see this in, in 2 Timothy with Paul, and um, with Paul chatting to Timothy, when Timothy is going through a tough time, saying to him, firstly, he encourages him in the things that he does well. He encourages him in the fact that he has great faith. And then he says to him that um, he longs to spend time with him. When, he, when he, he thinks of Paul's hard times and crying, he says, I long to spend time with you. I long to, to, to spend time with you because you bring me joy. And then he says to him that um, he must stir up the gifts that have been given to him. In other words, he's saying to him, the Lord has gifted you to do this. The Lord has gifted you to, to preach. And it's through those gifts that are you doing this. It's not through your own strength. And, um, and lastly, he says to him that the Lord has given him a spirit of power and not a spirit of fear, that the Lord has, has given him the anointing to do this. And, and that's exactly what Adrian has been doing to me, doing for me. And um, so the message I want to leave with you guys today is that unity in our community is what is going to bring change in our city and in our country. Anchor's all about change in our city. And, and um, so, so in ending, um, I've made a commitment in my life to, to just be present in people's lives that are close to me, present to people's lives that might make the difference between them walking out all that the Lord has called them too, just by being present, just by encouraging, just by, by discipling them like Adrian has done to me, like Paul did to Timothy. So that's what I want to leave with you guys today. Find some people in your life that can lead you, disciple you, but also people that you can encourage, people that you can walk a journey with, and all you have to do is be present. So in ending, encouragement creates boldness that leads to action that results in growth. So let me just start by telling you that this is the one thing that I thought that I would never do. I'm not the public speaking type, and I hate being center of attention. In fact, when Adrian asked me to marry him, I said, I'll marry you, but don't you ever, ever dare hand me that mic. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly that little speech didn't work. I'll still marry you, though. But honestly, for as long as I can remember, fear has been a battle for me. When I was young, the silliest things used to terrify me. I remember when I was about six or seven, we would go to the video store to return a DVD or then a VHS tape, and my dad would pull up right outside the front door and ask me to jump out and pop the, the, the videotape in the little slot in the door. Seems like a simple task, right? Not for me. I would freeze. I couldn't do it. My little sister had to do it for me. 
So my journey of overcoming fear began. Sadly, I know that I have missed many great opportunities and moments because of fear. And I know that it may be the same for many of you. This is something God has really been working on in me as he has been helping me grow. So I'd like to share a little about overcoming the fear that keeps you from growing. God has been challenging me and pushing me out of my comfort zone. He tried gently nudging for a while, but I wouldn't budge, so he had to be a bit more forceful about it. But growth is something that should be happening constantly for all of us throughout our lives. There should never be a season where the growth stops. It might be slow and less noticeable in some, in some times and more gradual in others, but we should constantly be stepping out into all that God has called us to. Sorry. Sometimes it isn't as easy as that, though. Sometimes it feels like we hit obstacles with every single step we take. But I want to tell you that often, more often than not, those obstacles are all in your mind and they're not actually reality at all. And this is why in Romans 12, 2, God asks us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we don't get stuck in those obstacles, stuck in fear, stuck in doubt, stuck in the lies of the enemy. Because the enemy knows that the, the quickest and easiest way to hold us back is through fear. This is illustrated perfectly in this quote from Screwtape Letters where C.S. Lewis writes of conversations between two demons. We want man to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope or fear. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against God. He wants men to be concerned with what they do, our business, is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. You see, the enemy keeps us so busy in our own thoughts and our own fears that we become paralyzed and we don't take any action in the future. When God nudges, we don't respond. When God asks us to drop off that video, we freeze. We miss opportunities, we ignore God's voice, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Some of us even wrap our fear up in a convenient little package labeled introvert and we file it under personality traits and the things that can never be changed. But don't use being an introvert as an excuse and don't let it control you. If you think you're an introvert, I used to cry as a child when I had to blow out the candles on my cake while all my friends sang for me. <laughs> to the point where sometimes I would hide under the table. But here I am standing today with a lot more faces looking at me now and they're a lot less cute. <clears throat> They're a lot less cute than they were back then. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I can refrain from crying right now. But overcoming fear is an essential part of growth. And this doesn't necessarily mean that the fear goes away. It's not becoming a slave to it. You can feel nervous. You can feel like you're going to faint. You can have a panic attack. But push through it. Don't let it stop you. I'll never forget the first time God asked me to share a word with a stranger who was standing in front of me during worship in church. My heart started pounding. I broke out in a cold sweat. I was just a shy teenager, and I was convinced she was going to think I was crazy. I didn't want to do it. In fact, I was hoping that she would leave early so that I could justify my disobedience by saying, well, God, she left, so I couldn't. But the Holy Spirit kept moving me, and before I knew it, my hand was on her shoulder, and I was sharing this word that God had for her. I was so nervous, I was sure that I wasn't making any sense at all, but she burst into tears, wrapped her arms around me, and told me that it was that day, a month ago, that her husband had passed away. And in that moment, I felt all of her anger towards God leave her, and the love of God surround her. It was in that moment that I realized that it wasn't about me and it never will be, that I was just a vessel for God to work through. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we remove ourselves from the equation, our fears and insecurities and flaws become irrelevant and the power of God becomes prevalent. When we focus on ourselves and our own weakness, we end up disqualifying ourselves or allowing others to disqualify us. 
But God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God's power will never be limited by my fear and flaws. I could not have failed in the delivery of that message because God's power cannot fail. His love... His, his power, His love, His grace, and His glory will shine in spite of you. When you come to the place where you realize that the focus is not on you, it's on Jesus in you, then you will no longer focus on yourself and your own flaws. Your focus will be on Jesus and all that He can do through you. So I want to encourage you to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Get out of the car and drop off the DVD. Don't let fear stop you and don't freeze. Even if it's as simple as taking one of our church invites at the back, giving it to a stranger and having a conversation with them. Introvert, throwing one out your window as you drive past somebody doesn't count. (laughs) Take just one step and do something that scares you this week. That's a catchy tune, right? I have this prayer that the good news of God is like a catchy tune that will spread like that. That earwig that I've now planted in all of your heads, you're welcome. And um, it's, it's this, this idea that, you know, God has such a great news that we, we want to share it. We ha- it's in us and we, we need to share it. So moments like this are great. So thanks for, for the opportunity. When I was first asked seven minutes to preach, I was like, wow, seven minutes isn't a lot of time. For those of you that don't know me, I like to talk a lot. So seven minutes is like, whoa, I need to really, 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 really try. But I prayed about it, and I realized that if we put God first, it doesn't matter how much time we have. We can have seven minutes a week. We can have seven years. God gives us what we need in the time that we have to help in his kingdom. So I've I've recovered from severe worry and uh, been through some worrying times. I'm a, a business owner, and in 2013, we had a rough, rough year. Uh, we were literally, I was on the bottom looking up the whole time. And, uh, but also in 2013, we were blessed with our, our daughter, Addison. And uh, it was great. It was this distraction from work, but it brought about a whole bunch of new worries. So if you, any of you are parents, you've just got a whole bunch of new stuff. So not only are you staring holes in the ceiling at night, worrying about the business, but you're awake anyway, which is good, because the baby's there. But... <laughs> So, as, as, as Eddie grew up, she started climbing on things, and that, that, was, that was kind of a problem, but the real problem came when she started jumping off the things that she had climbed on. So, I wouldn't be ready for these things. She would just be like, hey, Daddy, and then jump, and I, I'd have to catch her. So, my heart's beating, and she's giggling, and, uh, but she's not worried because she knows that I'm capable of catching her. And we need to know that our God is capable of catching us. And even though we aren't ready for the worry and the tough times that we have, we need to know that God is ready. God has a plan. He's more than capable of catching us, and He's ready for the worry and the troubles that we're going to encounter in our lives. So in Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come, to, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. He listens to us, so pray to Him. So, moving past that as well, it's, it's funny how you get asked to preach for seven minutes and you immediately go to worry. I don't have enough time. That's what we do as humans. We always go to the worry first, and we always start like, oh, how am I going to fix this? But I've been able to find comfort in, in what God says. So, the other scripture that I'd like to lean into today is Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. We'll start with the first two verses. And it says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear? Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? I want you guys to say, I am valuable. We are valuable to God. We need to know that we are valuable to God. Verse 27, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? See, worrying doesn't fix anything, and it really doesn't help solve the problem that you're worrying about. Uh, Often it's that lonely place where you find yourself worrying about one thing, and then there's five other things to worry about. Do I have enough money? Is there enough time? Is there another page? And uh, (laughs) 
how will I pay my bills? And a lot of the times we find ourselves looking, looking down. I mean, have you ever seen somebody who's really like just stooped in worry? They're just like this. I mean, we're looking down the whole time. It's like as if which thorny bush is the best one to fall into. It's not going to help us looking down. But if we look up, we might find an answer. And when you're so, so worried about the problem, you don't look for the solution. So don't look down. Look up to our God in heaven. When you look up to God, you'll find the grace, the peace, the glory, the love, the hope. You'll find all of those things in God. So, but it is difficult to be encouraged for a better life when the foundation of the life that you have is built on that worry. So if we go back to verse 28, it says, And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So it is that lonely concept, and we tend to be so worried about the problem, and we never stop to try and find that solution. that song, that, that don't worry, be happy, it's a great tune, but the problem with it is that it tells us what not to do. It doesn't tell us how to do it. And that's where it's great to have this catchy tune in our head, but we need to be able to, once you've sung the tune and the echoes have gone, you're back to worrying again. It's like, oh, cool, I was great for three minutes and 20 seconds. That was fantastic. But no one's ever found a solution to a problem by looking down. So in that moment, you need to, find, you need to look up for a bit. You might find a friend. God has provided us with each other to support each other. So you might be looking for God, and he's not going to come down in a cloud sometimes. He's going to come to you in a person who was, a, who was afraid to talk to you. But in that moment, it was the most powerful thing that you needed in that time. The thing with faith and worry is that they are somewhat linked. So the more faith you have, the less worry you have. The, less, the more worry you have, the less faith you have. And I don't, I don't know if you can ever be full of faith entirely and, and or have full of worry. You need to find a way in the middle. (laughs) So the simple answer here is just have faith in God. And the question then is, can we live a completely worry-free life? Well, it really depends on how we allow ourselves to have that faith. Uh, I don't know as humans if we can completely live without worry, but I think worry becomes more palatable and a little bit easier to tolerate when we have faith in God in our lives. So how can we do this? When we look for truth, well, God gives us truth. So verse 31. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Those three topics came up last night in my house. Literally, this shirt, that shirt. I don't know. Do I have enough time? What are we going to eat in the morning? Are we going to have breakfast before or after? It's just what we do. These things, they dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. He already knows what we need. And we have this tendency to ask for things before that we think we need, and God already knows what we need. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Not something, not a little bit of, everything you need. He will give it to you. Not Adrian, not Colin, every, he will do it. He will give you everything. So don't worry about tomorrow. Verse 34, sorry. Verse 34, So don't worry about time. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So no one needs to look for problems because they'll find you. Uh, We all need to look for God. He has never left us, and uh, I want you guys to be a warrior. Go to the next slide. You've got to see it. Go. So be a warrior, not a warrior. Don't worry. Be happy. Hi there, Anchor Church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, as Adrian said, I'm Ryan Jones, and um, I just want to thank you guys for being so welcoming over the last couple of weeks of coming to visit you guys here. has been amazing. As Adrian said, I'm a church planting pastor. I'm hopefully going to be going through to Seattle sometime next year to do some training, and by God's grace, be planting a church out. Um, and I hope Seattle will be a little bit different than uh, what I have an affiliation to it, which is Seattle Coffee Company. And even though the coffee is really great, I go in and order a decaf Americano. Don't judge me. I have my reasons. Uh, but they always, they shout out after order it. One, lonely, what's the point? And uh, I'm like, why are you putting my business out on the streets, lady? Why are you announcing to the world what my relationship status is? And it's, uh, it's a little bit disheartening, so don't worry, Brent. And uh, guys, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, anyways, I only have seven minutes, which is basically impossible for a pastor. 
but let's go. Uh, last week, Pastor Mark brought an amazing message, didn't he, uh, on mission and what it means to be on mission. And I'd like to just add to that this morning to exhort us by asking one very simple question. And that question is, what gospel do you believe in? What gospel do you believe in? So this might seem like a loaded question, and it is. If you've been at Anchor Church for any amount of time, we know that, that the gospel is preached faithfully here from this pulpit. And if that's the case, then what am I talking about when I say to you, what gospel do you believe in? So I'm going to explain this by sharing a story or what I'd like to call a tale of two gospels that I read in an article by a pastor called Jonathan Lehman. And I want you guys to just read the, uh, hear these two gospels and think to yourself, which one is more correct? Which one could you interpret as being a true gospel? So the first one is this. God is holy. We have all sinned, separating us from God. But God sent His Son to die on the cross and rise again so that we might be forgiven. Everyone who believes in Jesus can have eternal life. We're not justified by works. We're justified by faith alone. The gospel, therefore, calls all people to just believe, and unconditionally loving God will take you as you are. So that's the first one. The second one is this. God is holy. We have all sinned, separating us from God. But God sent His Son to die on the cross and rise again so that we might be forgiven and begin to follow the Son as King and Lord. Anyone who repents and believes can have eternal life, a life which begins today and stretches on into eternity. We're not justified by works. We're justified by faith alone. But faith that works is never alone. The gospel therefore calls all people to repent and believe. A contra-conditionally loving God will take you contrary to what you deserve and enable you by the power of the Spirit to become holy and obedient like His Son. By reconciling you to Himself, God also reconciles you to His family, the church, and then enables you as His people to represent together His own holy character and triune glory. So are they both correct? Is one perhaps a little bit more true than the other? If we were ever in doubt as to what Christ has called us to, we have to look no further than Jesus' life. If we have to look at Matthew 9, 35 to 38, it says this about Jesus and his ministry. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into his harvest. You see, in verse 35, we see that Jesus is anything but passive in his mission. He's anything but passive. He goes anywhere and everywhere, in our terms, anywhere from Paris to Paris. Okay? He goes to the big affluent cities. He goes to the small towns and villages. He doesn't choose a time that is comfortable for him. He doesn't choose the easiest road that has the least hardships. No, he listens to the will of the Father, and he will go to the nth degree to do what the Father has called him to do. In their mess, in their brokenness, in their messy lives, Jesus enters into this world ready to love, ready to love. We know this from verse 36. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, right? But it was so much more than that. It was so much more than just their physical ailments and brokenness. He was looking at something that was more than skin deep. He came here for our souls. He came here for our souls. He was teaching them and explaining to them what the gospel proclamation of the kingdom was. The kingdom of heaven, he would say, is at hand. Why? Because this promised Messiah was now here and with his people. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was here to take away the sins of the world. If sin and evil separates mankind from a loving God, then Jesus is the bridge between us and that holy God to make us right with him again. Jesus lives the life that we could never live and dies the death that we all deserve to die. That's what he took for us on that cross. Jesus feels something more than just a sympathy for us. It is a heartfelt empathy that he exchanges his place of where we are with where he should be. That's what he does. But then he says to them in verse 37, he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. 
We need to pray for laborers. That's the first thing we do as humans. We want to go and do things first. No, no, first pray. But secondly, we need to realize that you and I, if you're a Christian here today, you are the worker in the harvest. You have been called by Christ to be the salt and light in this world. The unreached are not only those that live out in the bundus and out in the sticks. Yes, we need to spread the word out there. We do need to be on mission and send missionaries. But aren't the people sitting in the seats next to you here unreached? Are not the people that stand around the water cooler with you at work unreached? Are not some of your family members and your friends and the people at your varsities and colleges, are not they also unreached? That is our mission, and that's what we should be doing. Because what God has done in us, He wants to do through us. We cannot change anybody. But do we love everyone enough? Do we understand the weight of the gospel that we would want to share that with others? So do you believe in gospel one that says we are merely believe in Jesus, He accepts us who we are, and it ends there? where we live to ourselves, we say we commit but do nothing about it, or we believe in gospel too, which says the same. You do believe in Jesus. You are righteous by faith alone, but that faith alone works. It works. Friends, the Father has called you. Christ has saved you. The Holy Spirit will equip you, and the gospel commission sends you. Now go, because you are sent. Man, morning church, isn't it funny how you have a plan and then you get the mic and then it's like me, Tarzan, you, Jane, like everything just out of the... <laughs> sure, well, um, I thought how, how can I uh, uh, include everyone and I thought let me start, you know, when you get asked, I'm like let me start with a grand intro, so I thought I'd be like one of those commercials, do you sleep at night? Do you breathe oxygen? Well, then this message is for you. Um, but basically, <laughs> that's everyone included. I wanted to speak to um, two kinds of people, uh, you know, those that know God and those that don't, because who knows that regardless of whether you know Jesus or not, we all feel the same emotions, we all go through the same feelings, and, um, and I just wanted to speak to that person who you've strived you, you work so hard, you, you push for perfection, but it's just not enough. You, you come down hard on yourself. Um, you give it everything you've got, but you just can't seem to attain. Um, and, and, and just everything you try in your relationship, uh, uh, in, in your singleness, uh, you, you're just like, God, what is going on? I'm doing the best I can, but I just can't, I just can't reach. Uh, I just can't attain in your marriage, in raising kids. I know I was a problem child, you know, uh, and I know many times my mom was like, ah, Jesus, take him away. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> she didn't say that. But, but basically, you feel like you're backed up against the wall and, um, and you have nothing else to give and, and you're ready to throw in the towel. Uh, there's, there's an emptiness. You've, you've tried no amount of money, no amount of success, no amount of relationship, no, no quality of relationship has been able to fill this void that's in your life, and, and you're ready to throw in the towel. Um, and I just want to say to you that there's hope. Maybe you're a Christian who, you know, you, you go to work or wherever outside of church, and, you know, you tell people, I'm a Christian, and they go, oh, <laughs> you know, you are, you know, and, and, and there's this this divide, because even in religion, even in Christianity, you're failing. You try so hard to be this exemplary Christian, this, uh, you know, you want to walk into a room and lives get saved, and, but, but that's not happening. Um, I want to talk to you, because, because there is hope, there's rest. There's a God that loves us. There's a God who sent His only Son to die on the cross for us. The same Son that said He's come to give us life and life in abundance. And, and I just want to, if you'll allow me to share quickly about the grace of God, because that's what grace is. Grace is you and I sitting here, having made mistakes, but being able to sit here, having known people who've made the same mistakes that we've made, but aren't able to sit in the seats we're sitting in. Grace is the undeserving love of God. And I, I saw a status this morning that said, you know, Grace works best with messy people. And I've been one of those uh, who was the messiest of them. 
Um, I, I'm someone who came from a family that wasn't really wealthy, that didn't have much, and so all my life, I was privileged to go to really good schools, but all my life I had to prove something. I had to, you know, I worked hard in school, I outplayed as, as, as many people as I could in the sports I did. I just always worked hard until it came to, to my relationship with God, where I tried and tried and I failed. And before I joined Anchor Church, actually, I was at a point where I was ready to walk away from the faith. Uh, I was a place in seeking authenticity. Every Sunday I would come and, and, and be like, yes, Lord. And then during the week, I'm feeling distant. And, and I'm someone who pursues authenticity. I'd rather have been the guy who's not a believer and live in sin and just indulge. But I also knew that that wouldn't have been authentic because who knows, once you've encountered God, your life has changed. I couldn't go back. I knew I was stuck in this point where I've, you know, I'm here, but I can't go back. And I was just, I was like ready to throw in the towel. And then God just started to walk me through rest, through through just letting go, my insecurities, whenever they came up, and before I'd be like, yo, you know, I'm a dude, eh? You know, I'll just, uh, <laughs> this is what insecurities. Uh, you know, now, now I learned to just give it all to God. Uh, the feelings you try to mask, let them go, give them up to God. And, and Jesus says to us, he invites us, in Matthew 11, verse 20, verses 28 to 30, from the message, he says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. People, I have found that freedom. I have found that grace. And I continue to discover more of it. Uh, and I'm here to tell you, it's there for you. It's there for all of us. And, and I just want to leave you with this. Oh, man, everything we need is in the Word of God. This scripture that uh, God gave... Oh, it's gone. There, it's back. This, this, this scripture that God, God gives the Israelites to comfort them. And I want to give that to you as, a, as comfort whenever you're going through the downs. If you're feeling like calling it quits, if you're in relationships, or if you're in situations where, like, I can't do this... Um, God speaking to the Israelites and says, Do you not know? Isaiah 40, verses 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. How many know the unfathomable understanding of God? Where people are like, How? How? Why you? You know? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Church, put it all in God's hands. I, I encourage you, I invite you to, to find rest in your everyday life. I mean, now I'm just like a, a living testimony of whenever I feel that insecurity creep up, I'm like, Lord, take it, you know. Whenever I think a woman's winked at me, Lord, no, take it. Give it all to God, and you will find true rest in this lifetime. Be encouraged, church. Amen. My favorite worship song at the moment is the song by Hillsong that says, I will boast in Christ alone, his righteousness, and not my own. I've learned to accept this righteousness because it's a gift. It's the gift of righteousness that allows us to reign in life. Not my righteousness, because in my flesh dwells no good thing. If you look at me, I deserve nothing good. I deserve nothing great. I deserve death. But guess what? I've got a Savior who took that on my behalf. I think we minimize what happened on the cross, because on the cross, Jesus took all the ugliness and all the dirt that we deserve. And he gave us the best gift ever, his righteousness. He clothed us with his righteousness. And you know what? The righteousness that he gave us is the pathway to everything we need in life. In Matthew 6:33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all, not some, 
not sometimes, all these things shall be added unto you. And that is what the starting point needs to be. We need to first accept the righteousness that God or Jesus died to give us on the cross. Because it is not accepting that righteousness or not believing that we are righteous by faith that we don't actually accept anything that comes from God because then we see his promises, not as promises, but as suggestions. When we pray, we don't believe that we deserve what the word says we deserve because we believe that we don't deserve it. And guess what? Who plants that seed of accusation is the accuser of the brethren. It's the enemy because he comes and says, you can't surely believe that you can have that. But if you look at yourself, you don't. And your answer should be, (laughs) well, you know. I'm not my own righteousness. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Because then you can boldly declare that my prayers work because James, James it says that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Which means when I pray, things happen. If you want your prayers answered, just holler at me after the service. It also says that the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter. Right? Which means your life should not get worse. Your life should be getting brighter and brighter because you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It says that blessings are on the head of the righteous. And guess what you are? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Not your own righteousness because that's where we trip ourselves up. If you look at your own righteousness, you deserve nothing. If you look at your own righteousness, you deserve death. But in his righteousness, you've got all these benefits and all these promises. It says that Favor surrounds us like a shield, which means things move when you're around. You get things that other people don't get, right? You get favors, you get, you, you get petitions, you get, you get laws changed because you have walked into the room. And until we accept the gift of righteousness, we are never going to accept the blessings. They are merely going to be, maybe I'll hit, maybe I'll miss, maybe he'll answer. And we start praying really, really desperate prayers. Oh God, please heal me. He says, I took I took all of that, the lashings, by my stripes, you are healed. So you should boldly declare, because it says that through the righteousness, we can boldly come to the throne of grace. We don't have that boldness if we look at ourselves, and that is what the enemy will always seek, basically trying to get us to do, to look at ourselves. But whenever he does that, just point him to the cross, point him to Jesus, point him to his righteousness that gives us everything. In Isaiah, it says that you shall be established in righteousness. And then it says, you shall not be oppressed, for you shall not fear. It doesn't say that you shall not be oppressed, uh, uh, and then you will not fear. It says you shall not be oppressed because you will not fear. And how do you cast out fear? Perfect love casts out fear. And what is that perfect love? Perfect love is what happened on the cross. When you realize that you are blameless, you are guilt-free, that he was wounded for your transgressions, he was bruised for your guilt and iniquity, that it's not just your past sins, it's your past, the current sins that you're committing and the sins that you will commit in the future, they are completely forgiven and brutally punished in the body of Jesus. That is when you realize, that is when you'll be established in, 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 in righteousness and therefore you will not fear and when you don't fear, you will not be oppressed, depressed, suppressed, compressed, you will walk in the victory that Jesus died to give us. That is, that is the biggest way we can show humility. I think we misunderstand humility. Humility to us is being who Jesus says we are, being who the Word says we are, wanting to have your own righteousness, which, by the way, God describes as filthy rags. Your own righteousness, filthy rags, because you can never qualify. You can never be good enough on your own. But in Christ, we are clothed with beauty. We are clothed with glory. We are clothed with perfection. In Colossians, it says Jesus was God, the fullness of God in human form. And we are in Christ. Guess what? We are the fullness of God in human form. And we need to walk in that. You know, one of the things that we always say is that may the grace of the Lord be with you. But that's not where it ends. It says may the grace of the Lord, which means his unmerited favor, May the love of God, and what is the love of God? The love of God is that he loved us so much that he gave his only son. And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for you, how much more freely we not give you all things, right? So it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Because we are the righteousness of, the, of, of God in Christ, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. And that is the biggest empowerment that we have, because the Holy Spirit is our counselor. So you should never be in a position where you don't know what to do because he's there. 
He's your interceder. He's your advocate. He is everything that you have ever needed in life. And therefore, you are not normal. <laughs> you are extraordinary. And therefore, what we should do, what we should use our faith for, which we all have, by the way. Faith is not something that we should be, you know, I've heard some people say you train it as a muscle. The word says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And that's as simple as it is. Jesus has made life so simple for us. So all you need to do is continue hearing. Faith doesn't come by having heard because you can't be nourished by food that you ate yesterday. You constantly need to hear how righteous you are in Christ and therefore your faith develops and you can walk in the victory that we have in Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. You don't ever have to beg for anything. You walk in victory because it is yours. I'm in Tabiseng, and I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Come on, wasn't that amazing? Let's give these guys a big round of applause. So awesome. It's amazing without us actually prepping anything. They all basically said the same thing in different ways. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I don't know what you've taken. I hope you were taking notes. Uh, we've, uh, we've recorded it, so if you haven't, we'll put it up and you can listen to it again. Um, but Will, with, uh, I'm too fat for that. Uh, I don't know what that feeling is like. How many of you believe that, um, I'm just kidding, I really do know. Um, how many of you believe that Will was being a little bit dishonest when he said that that sometimes happens to him physically? Um, that's definitely not true. Um, but, uh, but, he spoke about how the anointing enlarges your capacity to, uh, to take you beyond what's comfortable. Um, and I love that. Uh, Brent spoke about how when we journey with others, they will encourage you to be bold and to overcome your fear. Lee spoke about how Jesus in you will help you overcome fear, which is an essential part of your growth and of your journey. Um, you know, Brett came up and said, well, we don't need to worry because God is going to catch us, because God is faithful, because God is good. Um, and so we can, we can know where our joy comes from. Um, Ryan spoke about how God's mission will cause you to go like Jesus went, that we have faith and righteousness, and because we know who we are, we can go and we can make a difference. Um, Joe got up here and spoke about how we can rest in Jesus and, uh, and give it all to God and just trust in His goodness and see God help you uh, in that way. And then loved what Ntabi Singh had to share, that as we seek first His righteousness— and, uh, and everything that Jesus has done for us, we can receive all that God has for you. Every blessing, every bit of favor, it's all yours because of the cross. And that perfect love of God drives out all fear. So we have this clear message that we are not to be afraid, that we are to be overcomers, that we are to be victorious. And all of that is going to happen because of the finished work of the cross and because of us knowing the ID, as, as Brian spoke about. We have our ID and we know who we are in Christ, and so we can walk in victory. Amen? Isn't that good? Come on, let's give Jesus another round of applause. <laughs>